Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics might appear in our preaching this week. My name is Steve Tinning and I am the Baptist minister that is uh, appointed as the public issues enabler by the Baptist Union of Great Britain. I introduced myself a bit last week, so uh, if you'd like to know more about me, you can rewind a week. But today I want to introduce you to the Reverend Chris Upton. Uh, while Chris is our guest on today's episode, he's also going to take on the reins as host of Politics in the Pulpit for the next couple of months. So I thought it would be good to find out a bit more about Chris. So uh, Chris, can you just uh, introduce us by introduce yourself by telling a little of your story, where are you from, uh, your journey to faith and ministry, that sort of thing? Yes, of course. And firstly, thanks very much, Steve, for, for having me on the show. I really look forward to where we go today and over the next 10 weeks. But yeah, I'm a Baptist minister. I currently live in Haworth in West Yorkshire. I landed in Haworth in the year 2000 as the student minister doing my training at Manchester Northern Bible College, Northern Baptist College, got that wrong. Uh, and then they couldn't get rid of me. So I stayed uh, first three quarter time and then full time and ended my ministry there. Although I'm now a member of the church, not just not the minister in January of this year. So, yeah, one long pastorate um, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I went really deep into the local community. Uh, I was always quite grounded where I was. I grew up on a little island in Essex, the other end of the country. But I've also lived in Jamaica and in New Zealand. And uh, it's just lovely to be now landlocked in West Yorkshire. Which island in, in Essex? I'm an Essex boy. Uh, all right, I'll put the Essex accent on Mersey Island. Where ah, they, yeah, just up the road. Sorry. And, uh, and I worked <laughs> as a church youth worker and a painter and decorator there, and as a boat builder and as a fisherman, a gardener, anything. And my oldest two children were born as Essex girls before we came up to Yorkshire. To my <laughs> wife's great relief, because she's from Keithley and she was desperate <laughs> to get back in Moth. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. So, uh, so Chris, you, you moved on from that from that pastor and you you hold a few different roles in in ministry now could you tell us a little bit about them yeah i for, for a long long time i thought i had the best job in the world ever and, and i said this to my spiritual director and he said well chris maybe that's true but maybe you just enjoy life in general and maybe it's not the job per se don't be scared if god might be drawing you into new things and i did a couple of years ago feel if we can get through COVID, I think I want to go wider rather than just deep into the community. So about this time last year, I started looking around and I landed the job at Christians Against Poverty. I'm speaking from one of their offices now as the church funding officer. Mm. I've also just landed the job as the national lead to the Waterways Chaplaincy. Ah. Well, you say, well, we'll talk yeah. about that. But my third role is I work as a pastoral supervisor. I'm accredited by APPS and I help ministers, Baptists and many other denominations uh, help the clergy become the best clergy they can be. So I juggle those three roles. Wow, that sounds fascinating. People call it a portfolio ministry, don't they, where you're trying yeah. to juggle all those different things and some are better at it than others. I'm grateful that there are people like you that can manage so many interesting different roles tell, tell us just a tiny bit about the chaplaincy role because I guess that's the one that's probably most unfamiliar to some of our listeners 
I guess many of us will know of street pastors, um, people yeah. from the local church that go out maybe in pairs with folk uh, into their local community, acting as chaplains to the sort of the nighttime community, people falling out of pubs and making sure they get home safe and stuff like that. And I guess most of us know what chaplains do in hospital, sort of lurking with intent, walking slowly just in case somebody wants to chat and, and sees a dog collar and you know wants to open yeah. up. And we do the same for the towpaths and canals of Great Britain. So there's about two and a half thousand miles of towpaths and we have currently about 120 volunteer chaplains that all commit to walk at least one mile, uh, uh, well, one mile or one hour of their local towpath a week. And uh -huh. they prayerfully, they keep their eyes open, they actively engage where they sense God is leading them. Uh, so it's a lot of listening, a lot of signposting, some advocacy work, some practical work. And on occasion where people want to speak of matters of faith, we listen and we speak with them. But they're all members of local churches, tied into local churches. And the chaplaincy is an independent ecumenical ministry. And we work within the family of the church army. So that's the sort of superstructure. Uh, if you want to know more, do get in touch with me. That's fantastic. I, I, I confess I didn't even know that existed before I met you, Chris. So it's really great to hear more about it. And I'm sure we'll come to know more about you over the coming uh, months as well. But for now... Yeah. We know that politics in the pulpit can be a contentious topic, but we also believe that it's essential that the world around us uh, should speak into our churches and that those two things should be drawn together. Um, so the first question that we always ask our guests is when you hear arguments saying that politics should not infiltrate our preaching, what is your response to that? Uh, probably an inward groan. I try not to let that uh, be too loud. It, it, as everything, and as a Baptist, you know, it's all context-driven. So it would be a case of who is saying that to me. If it's a politician saying it to me, I'll give a very different answer to if it's somebody that's just from a church tradition where that's never been the case. Um, but my sort of snide, quick quip, which doesn't earn me many friends, but I think has a lot of truth in it, is... Jesus wasn't nailed to a tree for being just a nice guy. Um, so it's, yeah, it goes deep into the heart of, of everything, I believe, about that old Christian aid slogan about life before death. And yeah. uh, I just think yeah, it's vital and critical that we challenge the powers to work for us rather than the other way around. And um, although that's said about the publishing industry, isn't it? You know, um, yeah. It's also the church, I think. So, interesting. Thank you. And and then from your context, uh, well, again, I'm sure we'll come to know this over the coming months. But what are the big justice issues that that you least lose sleep over? What are the things that occupy your mind? Increasingly, uh, the the climate. So I've always tried to be green. Maybe growing up on the island where my Mm -hmm. Pleasure was sailing and the wind power and swimming. So anything without a motor was good. I cycle, cycled into work today, will do throughout winter, come rain or snow. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I think the climate and, and the planet that in some ways cannot speak for itself, but in other ways obviously is as our planet warms up and acts of God come more and more. And I don't like that language, of course. So that would be one. Um, and I think there's something about the, um, the way the chips have fallen. I'm born into the postcode, into the timeline and that makes me wealthier than almost everybody else on the planet. Mm. And although I don't feel too much guilt about that, I'm really aware that it's, it's not fair and we need to actively work and, and use less so that others can have more. So those sort of big concepts rather than just... Yeah, no, absolutely. And I can sort of see how those things relate to the work that, you, that you're currently involved in and, and also to the, to the news this week, which we're, we're going to come on to. Um, we're going to come on to now. JPIT tried to give a little roundup of the things that it would be good to be attentive to, things that have been in the news, in the press uh, over the last week or so, and perhaps we'll, we'll continue into this week. And so I just thought I'd give you some headlines and then there may be one or two things that you'd like to offer up into that as well. Uh, but today's news headline is that 100 plus Metropolitan Police armed officers have handed in their guns and their weapons permits uh, as a fellow Met officer faces uh, a murder charge for the killing of Chris Carver. I guess that was uh, just a little over a year ago. Um, so the army are on standby. Uh, today as well, we've been listening to uh, the government's recent decision to reduce their efforts towards the net zero um, policies all over uh, the news last week. And uh, I, it would be remiss of me not to remind our listeners or, or, or tell our listeners if they weren't already aware that the JPIT churches have, have come together and made a statement about this uh, that begins, we are dismayed that the Prime Minister is delaying the implementation of policies to achieve net zero and ends with, as a country, we have a moral, we have moral and legal responsibilities to show leadership in tackling the climate emergency together. If you want to read the whole statement, you can find it on any of the three, uh, the Baptist, Methodist and URC denomination websites or the JPIT website uh, as well. It's a, a key thing that's that's been spoken about uh, last week and speaks into your heart, Chris, for, for the climate things there's also more strikes uh been announced and continuing uh university strikes uh continuing during freshers week uh there's school strikes i think up in in scotland as well this week and then there's the the drama over hs2 and, and george osborne and, and d burnham leading the criticism of possible scrapping of the hs2 high-speed rail link between uh, birmingham and manchester we also like to mention any seasons that we're in or approaching. Uh, so it's uh, it's the last week to to mention that we're at the back end of the season of creation. A lot of churches having their harvest services at the moment, uh, which is great. And then we like to mention if any Sunday holds sort of specific particular significance and so I sort of looked up what the first of October is going to be uh, I guess the most relevant of any of any is normally we're inundated with all sorts of interesting ones it's international day for older persons but we also have the joy of international hair day international coffee day international music day and inter and national homemade cookies day uh, so you know 
<laughs> do with that what you will in the pulpit it wasn't long ago it was instant it was sort of national by a vicar a pint day wasn't it i noticed on facebook so sorry i missed that one this year yes no, i shouldn't talk over you but that is a key day so <laughs> and if you've missed it it's never too late just uh just just to say that as well but chris anything that we've missed in in that list of of headlines or, or things to be attentive to this week well I think, uh, so no, all of those just quite important and impinging on us in a daily way. So for me, I had some training uh, that needed to happen and people needed to take the train, but there's a train strike, so people can't get there on the Saturday. And so that's an inconvenience and we're mm. doing the best of it over Zoom. So we're going to continue with a newish way. Um, but I, I think for me, the big thing is the sort of headache and embarrassment. Steve, you and I know each other from Greenbelt. And a few years mm. ago, Ross Brand was on the main stage at Greenbelt. Uh, Greenbelt aren't commenting just at the moment, but Russell Brand and you know what has or hasn't occurred, the people has or, or he hasn't uh, offended. And you know, I'm not going to make a judgment. We're not going to go there today. But I suspect that will be in the public eye and in the congregation's eye, this idea of what we do when a celebrity falls from grace or yeah yeah thank you for mentioning that of course i mean that dominated the news headlines a few days ago didn't it before the weekend and i'm sure it's gonna yeah. murmur on for, for some time i know greenbelt did take down uh the photos and the and the talk from from russell's time at greenbelt so while they've not made a statement i think that in itself is is a statement of sorts mm -hmm. and and i think you're right sometimes the things that are at the front of the preacher's mind aren't always the things that are the front of the congregation and the community's mind and that's certainly something that a lot of people are talking about so thank you for raising it so with the uh newspapers open in the one hand we'll open our bibles and we have our uh, our texts for this week which are from exodus 17 1 to 17, Philippians 2, 1 to 13, Matthew 21, 23 to 32, and uh, Psalm 78, 1 to 4 and 12 to 16. Uh, you, we'll put those uh, links in the podcast notes, but just to give you a very brief summary of what those passages uh, are in case you don't have uh, time to, to read them straight away or right now uh, the exodus 17 passage is that perfect follow-on from last week's passage about the israelites complaints about their hunger and god's provision uh, of manna this week they are complaining about their thirst and uh, god's provision uh, of water the philippians 2 passage i'm sure is is extremely familiar to to, to all of us uh, it is that make my joy complete passage be of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and one mind together do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. And let the same mind be in you. It That was in Christ Jesus, who obviously humbled himself, gave up his power and, and sacrificed himself. So that's the uh, Philippians passage. The Matthew passage is a really interesting one. That's uh, uh, the priests and the elders are asked by Jesus or asked Jesus uh, by what authority he does these things. And then Jesus cleverly replies by asking them a very difficult question. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And the priests sort of 
recognize the dilemma that jesus is setting before them and so don't give an answer and so as as jesus said he he won't answer their question if they won't answer his and he yet he goes on to then uh tell this parable of the of the two sons the first who who is asked to go into work in the field and he doesn't immediately but eventually he does and the second says that he'll go into the field but he doesn't and there is a very uh unsubtle parallel to from jesus to the priests to say that they are the ones who say they will do something and do not do it and yet the those that they are criticizing the tax collectors and prostitutes are like the first son who perhaps took their time but eventually have responded to john's uh, teaching um and then the psalm is uh, uh, again it's a lovely psalm uh, the psalmist is remembering the mighty acts of God uh, for Israel in the desert and specifically uh, the water provision. It's obvious why this is side by side with the Exodus passage and celebrating it. And the key thing is sort of saying that these stories will be remembered, that they will pass these stories from generation to generation and they will not forget the faithfulness of God. Uh, to their Israelites forever. So those are the those are the key texts. Chris, I understand you've been perusing the alternate texts, which isn't something we always get into because there's always so much in the other four. But I, I think what you've what you might be wanting to share uh, relates to the passage in Ezekiel. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, and I guess even before I do that, I think I want to highlight that having been the minister at Howarth for 23 years. I think I've done the Revised Common Lectionary texts you know, at least four or five times. So it could be that's why I'm digging into the alternate texts as well, because mm. I've done the others somehow, or at least done some justice to the others. But the, the Ezekiel 18 strikes me as just a fantastic text. Um, Great chunks of Ezekiel. I have no idea what's going on. Wheels within wheels and things with many eyes and all that. Um, but the, it's the second verse. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. And I think... There's something there about um, to what extent do I forget and forgive and to what extent does God forget and forgive and, and how my view of an event is coloured by the history, not just by the event itself. So we're talking about politics here. My view of one party may be skewed by events that were nothing to do with that administration, but by their forefathers or foremothers. And so I'm, I was thinking of this text. I'm sat in the Christians Against Poverty office and I'm doing some research into some northern towns, uh, some poor high indices of multiple deprivation, thinking, I mean, maybe last election with the red wall and all of that it went a bit wonky, but classically they, they still remember the, the miners' strikes and the closing of the pits. And to what extent is that event now 30, 40 years ago affecting them? And what is the memory of that event affecting them? And then I look at this passage about the, the parents of eating sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge or not. And there's this question that comes in my mind about who acts and who reacts 
who sins and then who faces the penalty of that sin. Um, so, so that feels like a good yeah. question to wrestle with from the pulpit. Yeah. Um, and so is that where you'd start then? Sorry to over. I mean, I, I'm just keen to hear from you where where you'd begin with all of this. Is that is is that where you'd put the focus of your end? I mean, maybe it's just over to you for a little bit, Chris. Here, and you can talk us through how you'd appreciate how you'd approach these texts if it was if if you were in the pulpit this week. Is that okay? Of course it is. Yeah. Um, and I think I might start. I think I generally do start with with what's going on. What are the presenting issues in the local congregation? I'm a Baptist, you know, and although it's Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other, it's probably local news and the how set more than the national news. Because although we highlighted what's going in 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 the broadsheets, actually, you know, Mrs. Miggins down the roads had a pie shop closed. You know, that affects people. And if somebody's poorly with a, a, a genetic illness, say, we know that it's nothing to do with their sin. And yet where the scriptures say, do right and you will live, do wrong and you will die, which is a fairly bold characterization of some of the uh, pieces from Exodus and others. There's just a huge, but that's not the case. Mm. I think it's the psalmist where we remember the history of God acting and it all turns out well for us. You know, that's not my congregation's memory. My congregation's memory is we tried our darndest and it didn't work out well. Or we got lucky and we were completely blindsided by the providence and the love of God that, that actually despite our best efforts, we've done really well or, or we are blessed. So the questions about the very binary, do good and you will live, do evil and you will die, turn to the Lord and all will go well with you, which is there in in the scriptures that we've just had. Actually, there's a lot more going on. And so the end of that Exodus, end of that Ezekiel, turn then and live, is a very clear admonition that we need to follow God. And yet we know that many people turn and they do not live. I was at a, a funeral on Friday, a young chap in his 60s. Mm. It, God's ways are not our ways. I often end up there and end up with the sort of humility that's kicking in. Um, and that bit from Philippians, it is God who is at work in you. Hallelujah. Um, yeah. And we don't really understand much more. I'm seeing what else I've highlighted. That whole bit from Matthew about the two sons, I've just squiggled mystery. I don't really understand this, uh, and that's fine. Uh, But if I don't understand it, I'm not going to pretend that I do and try and make an easy win uh, out out, out of the texts. It sounds a bit garbled, Steve, I'm afraid. But what I would take from these texts overall is this question about actions and uh, consequences. Is it my action that has a consequence? Is it somebody else's action that has a consequence? Uh, And yet we are all in God's hands and God's will work a golden thread through through it all. It's very hard to see it. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm really appreciative of, of your thoughts on that and for drawing in the Ezekiel passage as well. I, I must confess, when I was looking at them, it was the Matthew passage that I found most mysterious in terms of how it fitted into the to the wider uh, conversation. But the link between the uh, Exodus passage and and certainly the the Psalms passage and that thing about memory and what what do we do with our memory? The memory of the good uh, and the faithfulness of God, but also the memory of, of of hardship and and pain and and how that how we wrestle with the concept of forgiveness i i think is absolutely at the heart of this stuff and also power i i, I love the philippians passage i i very i mean i'm not someone that does the lectionary reading very often i must confess um but this is a this is a passage that I suspect most ministers at some point have decided I'm going to talk about Philippians because it's so rich with with, with challenge and uh, and and a, and a sense of the uh, of the identity of who God is and who Jesus is and the challenge for us to be humble is is there isn't it but i for some reason i haven't i don't know that i have preached on this i've been in ministry for over 10 years and i think for some reason i've i don't i i just read it today and thought actually i really fancy that and that's probably the one that i would put my energy and time into primarily because of this conversation about power and i think you know everything some of the things that we spoke about earlier today um about power and and not least the um the russell brand thing again I'm, I'm not wanting to focus too much energy into that but the podcasts i listen to have been talking about abuse of power this week and how how we use our power and what the, um for me that this passage that speaks of do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit or empty conceit but in humility regard others better than yourselves and then it talks about the incarnation, doesn't it? Christ emptying himself, taking on the form of a slave. And I, I find this conversation about power incredibly challenging because my my instinct as somebody that wants to work for justice and my background in community organising says that very little justice can be found without uh, building the power that you that you can to compel change and i've always struggled with this sort of concept of the incarnation of god who is all powerful giving up all his power in order to become a humble baby that sacrifices and i'm thinking but i i feel sure that the church is supposed to be you know moving in the power of the holy spirit to bring about change on earth and and trying to hold those two things together this 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 recognized power that we get from the spirit and yet the challenge to be humble and to live lives of sacrifice so i think i'd probably try and lean into into that passage uh, a bit but there is plenty in there isn't there and i'm really grateful for your for your drawing in of of, of the ezekiel passage as well i wonder if it's if it's possible for preachers with all their power standing in pulpits to really preach on this philippians piece it, <laughs> it reminds me and i forget my dickens but the ever so humble uh Obadiah, was it Obadiah slope i forget but the ability to preach about humility you know we can't do it i think it's an oxymoron i think we can talk about other people preaching about humility and what a great sermon you've heard but the ability to give one and that almost strikes me that if paul was writing you know, this piece is Paul speaking about Christ's humility. It yeah. is not 
speaking about his own. And I think I have preached on this piece before, but I think I've basically just reminded people that it, it looks as though this is an early hymn and that this is an early song and that people believe what they sing. And so this might be the first Christian hymn. And therefore, we will simply read it out two or three times because it's all gold. You know, it's, a, it's one of those you cannot add comment because it is comment about Christ. And it's articulate beyond measure because having been a hymn, it's been redacted a million times into something that works. And it even works through our English translation of the Greek. And, you know, so there's something about that. And, you know, and it ends or in some ways it ends. Verse eight, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hmm. Strikes me theologically, there is a an argument about did Christ know what was coming? Hmm. There will be a strand that says, yeah, he knew full well that he was going to be resurrected. Hmm. Hmm. And then there will be another strand that says, no, this was a surprise. Hmm. Uh, but the humility. It is not I'm going to go and defeat Satan in grave because I'm great and I'm stronger than Satan. And then I'm going to rise again. It, you know, that, that's not humble. Am I allowed to say this? I, I'm not sure. But there's something about doing the right thing in yeah. love as an end in itself. So I think you just said, uh, I would have to watch, read the transcript, something about the mission of the church is to change the world. Hmm. And, and I wonder, and this is Anne Morrissey in her community ministry, the, her idea of the principle of obliquity, where we do something because it is the right thing and then something else happens anyway. Mm. But we don't set out to change the world. We mm. set out to love and to serve yes. and change occurs almost yeah. like follows day. But if we set out to change then we're sort of missing what we're called to do. <laughs> That's such a helpful challenge. And you, you've reminded me when I was a minister, I, I used to get told all the time that we needed a church vision. Uh, you know, we needed to know where we were going, what we were setting out to achieve. And for some reason, I always really resisted that that temptation to be really explicit about it. And that's no criticism of churches that do it that way. But for me, it was about setting down our values. It's the what is right. What are we here to do and to be? And then the what happens as a consequence of the living in the goodness and the righteousness that God has set before us is not up to me that's that's god's path to fulfill but i think we're going down a whole a whole tangent that is so tempting that i i really probably shouldn't chris is there anything else about these passages that you just want to highlight and raise before we before we wrap up i think um so i was in church uh, as a as a congregant last week and the preacher was talking about uh, and he wanted there to be a sort of a stony silence when he said it but most people i think agreed they knew where he was going he was on the um, he was on the last week's lecturing text from Matthew about the uh, the workers in the vineyard and those mm. that for one hour getting paid the same as eleven hours. And he said basically God's not fair. Yeah. And he wanted the congregation to sort of say, oh, of course God's fair. God's the epitome of fairness. And there was this idea of justice and fairness not being the same thing, equity and equality not being the same thing. And I think we so often in our politics, in our civic society, 
want everything to be equal. Everybody's got to get £500 fuel benefit for the winter. Everybody's got it because it's equal and that makes it fair. Yeah. And back to the waterways, and maybe this is where, you know, I'm speaking at a Boaters Christian Fellowship in a little bit. Um, a, an idea has just come about log burners, wood burners, and how toxic they are and how you shouldn't be allowed to burn X, Y, and Z. And you can be fined by local councils. But for my community on the towpaths, about 30,000 people live on liverboards and they live in small, thin metal tubes surrounded by cold water, possibly ice. And they cannot afford the smokeless fuel, so they will burn wood. And there's something very um, prime primordial, is that right? You know, something very deep about burning wood to stay alive and to stay warm. And maybe 30,000, maybe 5,000 of those boaters are being hit by an equal law that's actually talking about log burners for the 50 million people up and down the country. So mm. it's the one size doesn't fit all, basically, is what I'm going for. And some of these texts, dare I say it, seem to give a binary, do good and you will live, do evil and the Lord will smite you. But actually... It's far, far trickier than that when you come yeah. to the government. Justice is a deeply complex thing. Um, like, I can't remember why it came up. I think we were watching a programme and the word justice came up. My son, who's eight years old, asked me what justice was. And I was struck by how hard I found it to, to articulate the complexity of this thing that I have given my life now in ministry to pursue to an eight-year-old boy and I just I did sort of talk about fairness I must admit because I think for, for him that that's something that he had some concept to but trying to trying to honor and and do justice to the to the complexity of of the pursuit of justice is really challenging it's really difficult yeah I was going to ask what I wonder what your son would have said justice for me smacks of some kind of retribution our justice system and the word's been hijacked by, um, yeah, well, retribution, yeah. restoration. Um, yeah, it, it's the classic thing about the, the the challenge between, you know, punishment and and redemption in in, in the justice system. And but that, again, that's a, a whole conversation for another day, Chris. Look, yeah. I'm, I'm, we're going to have to wrap up because I think we're come, we're drawing to an end and running out of time. But I found today's conversation fascinating, Chris, and I'm really looking forward to being a listener over the next couple of months as you pursue some of these uh, future lectionary passages with a, an array of guests that we've got coming up so thank you very much for coming and sharing your wisdom and reflections with us today and thank you uh, to everyone else who's listening for joining us and to give some consideration to how uh, the preaching this week in and in, in our, our lives in the pulpit can do justice to uh, to the world around us. If you've enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please do leave a review wherever you find your podcasts and share the episode with your friends. Uh, please do find our online spaces as well on X or, or Twitter or whatever we call it at pulpit underscore politics or using hashtag politics in the pulpit. Uh, we have a Facebook group that you can access through the Joint Public Issues Teams Facebook page and the website jpit.org. That's J-P-I-T dot, uh, sorry, not jpit.org, jpit.uk. That's jpit.uk. 
And uh, I'm going to close with this blessing that has come from a wonderful resource from the Church of Scotland called God with us. And it just says this. May God bless us. Our God who called the world into being, who breathed us into life, who provides us with new strength. May God bless us. Our God whose love does not know borders or walls, whose justice will come. Our God who casts down the mighty from their thrones and lifts up the lowly. May God bless us, creator, redeemer and sustainer. Amen. Amen.